Hi everyone, this is Olga Matt, building the future of contracts from home. And today I'm with my very good friend, Netta. Netta, please introduce yourself. Hi, Olga. Hi, everyone. My name is Netta Alnejafi. I'm currently serving as corporate counsel for Franklin Templeton. I've been an attorney for a little over 11 years now. I started in commercial litigation, did not like that, and went in-house for most of my career. Spent a few years in automotive at Lexus and Faraday Future, and then I landed where I am today at Franklin Templeton. So I know you have a love affair with contracts. I do. <laughs> Let's talk about that. Tell, tell me why you find them so fascinating. I love contracts. And I think that it dates back to uh, my love for words ever since I was a child. I come from a family of immigrants. My parents moved to the U.S. from Iraq in the 1980s. Um, and English was not their first language. They had to just kind of, you know, learn the language as they went. Part of it was learning through me. Um, as a child, as, as I was learning the language, so were they. And growing up, they would have me write birthday cards for them or show me letters and be like, can you read this and translate to me? And I just grew up really understanding that there is a power to language and to words and to really being able to master them. Um, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do with words, but I knew that I loved it. It was like, I could do journalism. I could be a writer. I could go into marketing and just so many different options. Um, but I ultimately chose law because I loved reading and writing. And it was in the contracts 101 course in law school that I've found a whole new universe where the power of words can really come to life. And that's in contracts. And I see contracts as um, stories. You know, they have a beginning, a middle, and an end, and you pick certain words to go here or to go there, and it really can change the meaning or the interpretation. Um, and that really, I feel like I, um, I'm able to be a storyteller and, and really master my words through contracts. So that's kind of what has led me to, in my career, um, I spend majority of my practice reviewing, drafting, and negotiating all sorts of contracts. Such a great way to describe this. Um, and as I was listening, um, it was really resonating with, with, with me because um, I immigrated to the United States when I was 13. I did not speak English. Mm -hmm. I, I have this thing where when people were asking me, what I want to be when I grow up. I really want, I, I kind of used to think it was a stupid, stupid question. I still think mm -hmm. it's a stupid question. I like giving you an answer that leads to reaction. So I like telling people that I would be a lawyer when I didn't speak English because wow. I was like, yeah, I'll be a lawyer. And they know I don't speak English and they, they kind of like pause and look at me. And, and, and you definitely learn that the disconnect is that words of power and you as an immigrant don't have access to it. And yeah. they're standing there. They don't necessarily want to give you a reality check. And you know the gap. And you're staring at each other. And I, as, a, as a kid, I really enjoyed that reaction. <laughs> <laughs> and it sounds like you kind of came at it uh, from, the, from the same perspective. So very interesting. I like the way you think about contracts as telling the story, the beginning, middle, and end. And mm -hmm. stories are powerful. I spent over 15 years now telling stories about the future of law. I like your focus on contracts and how they tell the story. Um, what is the role of a lawyer in this storytelling? Is a lawyer just a scribe or do they have a different, bigger role in that mm. narrative? That's a great question. Um, 
you know, in this, in the role of an attorney, being able to tell a story through contracts, what's really unique about this type of narrative versus like a script for a movie or something is that the contracts don't have one ending. Um, we don't know how it's going to end. We hope that it will end where both sides are successful or both sides are happy or they never have to look at the contract again. But part of our job as an attorney is to um, anticipate the, the total possible number of endings to write an, an ending to address the, solu the problem with certain solutions in multiple aspects rather than just looking at we need to pick one way only. Um, and we should be part of the story. You know, I always like to partner with my business clients and help them craft their story. It's not just how much are you going to pay for something? What kind of service are you looking for? But it's about the strategic partnership. Where do we want to go in the long run? What, what problems can we avoid together? How can we address the solutions together? So I think attorneys should be a part of the narrative and help write dynamic scripts that can change across time and across different variables. Dynamic script and attorneys as characters in a play or book or script as opposed to just mere scribes. That's the difference between being an in-house attorney or being a more of a niche attorney. That in-house, you really want to be more of a generalist so that you can see things from multiple different perspectives and be able to advise your client on a broader spectrum rather than just contractual issues or just intellectual property. Term dynamic script. What do you mean by that? We're doing like um, a vendor to customer agreement, um, let's say for services. And we want to sign up for three years. We don't really know what the company is going to need three years from now or what different service offerings the vendor might provide three years from now. Are we going to want to renew? Are we going to want to terminate? Do we want to expand? Do we want to add users? Do we want to subtract? We don't know. All we can do is put our brains together, you know, business and legal and tech or who, who the other stakeholders are combine and come up with our best guess, our best case scenario. But at the same time, we want to create clauses that allow the contract to be successful across change. And that's what I mean by being dynamic. So, um, you know, if we want to add users, how much will it be per user? If we want to renew, can we lock in pricing from now? Can we say that it only increases by X percentage or do we have to start all over again? Um, so it's allowing the clauses to move over time, across variables, across different needs, instead of just being like a snapshot, it should be more like a video. You love contracts so much that um, you found an organization. Uh, what is the name? And tell me more. Yes. Uh, so the name is Contract Nerds. Contract Nerds is, is my little baby of 2020. Um, I'm really excited about it. It was kind of birthed out of quarantine. Uh, I was missing going to networking events and connecting with like-minded attorneys in person. And so I started exploring LinkedIn a little bit more. I mean, I, before this year, it was, I would just use it to search for jobs or maybe look up a couple people. But, um, but I, I was really surprised to see how much activity there was on there, especially for the legal community and really like a really good group of attorneys, transactional attorneys and litigators have kind of found each other on LinkedIn across the world. Um, and they share 
important content about the legal industry, whether it's, you know, litigation, um, whether it's about technology or legal operations and some of the content that you put out there, you know, I got inspired by it and I decided that I wanted to engage as well. And I just started, um, I kind of, I, I, I examined what was already out there and I noticed that there's people talking about contract drafting or about contract technology, but not really about contract negotiations. And that's one of my favorite things about contracts is actually the negotiation process. So I wanted to tie general negotiation concepts to contract negotiations more specifically. And that's when I started writing about redlining etiquette and some other negotiation tips. And I was just Surprise, people were interested in it. And that kind of fueled me and kept going. And um, out of that came this idea that, hey, I want to create a platform for everything contracts, whether it's resources, learnings, um, podcasts, articles, blogs, people just connecting with one another. Because I don't, I, I didn't see one that existed out there already. Um, kind of created by attorneys or created by contract experts. As you've seen, I'm starting out with a blog where I post an article every week. I'm starting to record a podcast, which um, is an interesting process. And I'm just hoping to get information out there about contracts because really what they teach you in law school isn't enough to be successful as a contracts attorney. Um, it's getting a little bit better since I graduated law school, but I want to kind of bridge that gap and help people who are interested in contract contracts come and talk about it. I love that article about the etiquette. And um, mm. I do find a lot of like-minded lawyers on, on LinkedIn uh, sharing ideas and inspiration. And uh, we do geek out on, on contracts. And those have been some of the inspiring, fruitful conversations. So I have to ask you this oh, yeah. question. Red lines or black lines or something else entirely? What do we call that? I mean, I refer to it as red lines. Um, they can be all different colors now. They can be purple and blue, depending on, you know, what collaboration tool you're using. Um, but to me, it, it started, you know, when I, was in law, when I was in law school, I was an intern at this software licensing company. And I just started, that's where I learned how to review contracts. We were doing due diligence for a merger. And actually redlining used, used to be on paper. And you used to get out a red pen and just start marking things up. And so that's how it's kind of ingrained in my head that no matter what tool you're using, it is the process of um, drafting, redrafting, and negotiating the contract. Yeah, yeah. I find that people, uh, attorneys have many names for it, red line, black line, mm -hmm. uh, compare, there's, uh, mm -hmm. you know, all kinds of names for it. So I joke mm -hmm. that um, contract negotiation is doomed from the beginning because we can't even agree on the name. <laughs> um, it's, it's sort of a, 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 a very good example of kind of where the uh, negotiation starts from. But that, those jokes aside, uh, you know, let's talk about uh, negotiation uh, and the process of it, because negotiation is different from red lines. Red lines are not negotiation, right? Right. Um, and, um, and I like your focus on negotiation. Tell me uh, why, why the fascination with negotiation. Probably starting from when I majored in psychology in undergrad, I just really love um, understanding people and, and the art of communication. And that's really the umbrella that negotiation falls under. It's understanding people, communicating with them and trying to 
you know, persuade or teach or whatever word you use to try to, to, to communicate with the other person, your idea um, and reach a mutual agreement. And it's really hard to agree with people. You don't agree with people all the time. You don't agree with your best friends or your parents or your husband or wife all the time. You know, people, that's the, the art of the human mind is that we have these unique aspects and we think differently, which is really cool, but we can collaborate and work together and we can find a compromise and, and find a solution that works for both sides to help us promote the end goal, the end goal of the service or the product or the idea, you know, coming to life. Um, and I would argue that if used correctly, red lines could be a, a really good medium of negotiation. Um, it really depends on what you're using the red lines for. And that's what I talk about with the redlining etiquette is it should be more than just cannot accept these terms you know, must delete these. This doesn't make any sense. You know, it should be, it should be the craft, the legal craft, your argument. You know, if you were a litigator, you'd be putting your arguments in motions. Um, why don't we do the same as transactional attorneys? There is a legal analysis behind our reasoning for striking or editing or modifying something. And using negotiation tactics um, with red lines, I think gives you the ultimate this, the sweet deal, you know, of really ultimately being able to communicate to the other side efficiently and effectively to help get you from contract um, is open, is drafted, to contract is closed, and we fully agree on it. Let's talk about the intersection of contracts and technology. Okay. Um, contracts is a huge opportunity. Um, it, it, there's just so much, and I'm not just talking about different industry and different kinds of contracts. There are different stages of contracts. There's, it's such a huge and impactful area because if you think about it um, in-house, every lawyer is pretty much a contract lawyer. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if you're a litigator. It doesn't matter if you're a strategic supporter. It doesn't matter if you're a product supporter or sales support or anything else for that matter. Chances are in-house, you create, negotiate, manage, or interpret contracts all day long. Yeah. Um, that's kind of what we do in-house, right? We're all contract lawyers when we're in-house, mm -hmm. uh, even if we're, say, even litigators. Uh, we also know that the most important assets and relationships in the company are contractual ones. So contracts are important. Um, and lawyers are there, the, you know, the small or large army or a small army with a large presence is there to protect uh, those and create value and diminish risks of those assets. You know, there's opportunity in technology mm -hmm. to help lawyers and to help the stakeholders outside of law to extract and use this value and, and, and be part of the conversation. Uh, so what is your take on this intersection of contract and technology? I'm so passionate that this really is the way of the future and that we need to start implementing this right now. We shouldn't, there's really nothing that we should be waiting for. I mean, the question is how doesn't technology help contracts? It does in every, in every single way. And it's only getting better. Um, I think that there needs to be a little bit more education around it. Um, and, and attorneys, in-house attorneys, who are looking to implement these solutions kind of need some support really to build the buy-in internally. For whatever reason, 
legal doesn't really get a big budget. Legal technology, you know, a lot of business folks think, well, why does legal need technology? They've already been doing it fine. Why do we need to change anything? So I think that kind of dialogue, like a lot of the engagement we're seeing on LinkedIn, a lot of the content coming out um, is really going to help kind of spread the word and champion this change that we need in legal department. And as you know, you know, legal is stubborn. Legal likes to be in their old ways. But I recently did a demo for Parley Pro, um, and I thought it had a really cool feature. The collaboration tool helps with negotiations. And being a fan of negotiations in, ge in general, you know, I like the focus. Um, a lot of CLM tools, there's each one focuses on a different aspect or some focus on all of it across. And there's different aspects and features that each one, you know, sets forth and kind of markets. What I'm looking for, what I think is really important to our industry is support with negotiation, um, because that is the heart of the legal practice. That is the thing that we can't off outsource or off board or find someone else to do. That's what we're hired to do as attorneys. Um, so I really like that collaboration tool. And I remember you telling me that was one of your favorite parts of Parley Pro. Yeah, I, um, yeah, I've become, I, as you know, I'm not the founder. I'm um, uh, the lateral CEO identified by the founders to join in the role of CEO. And the part that I like is that digital negotiation piece. And the reason for that is because uh, negotiation is a last mile problem in contract. Um, it is the most expensive in terms of resources and time and, and uh, frustration. Mm -hmm. um, it is very critical and, and it is an opportunity where a lot of value is created and risk are managed. Uh, so it is a last mile problem that is critical and yet is the most manual and have not been historically digitized. I was very impressed, kind of like yourself, mm -hmm. that um, this part is digitized. It has really getting and excited so much so that I, that I, I left everything and I became the CEO of Farley Pro for, for that mm -hmm. reason among many numerous others. So. I definitely think that um, solving the last mile problem is critical. Uh, we are nonetheless a full contract lifecycle management platform. We help create, negotiate, manage contracts. Uh, but I do think that that last mile problem is critical. Uh, before we talk about adoption of digital negotiation, let's talk about the legal mindset. And you just mentioned that, you know, there is resistance. Um, how do we deal with it? And you also mentioned that this is changing. Tell me what changes you're seeing. I'm curious, kind of understand what you're seeing. I'm happy to share what I'm seeing. Uh, and then most importantly, how do we inspire people to, to maybe um, embrace the 21st century? Yeah. I mean, I think that with, um, with the quarantine and everyone having to work remotely, we're it, in general, technology um, kind of got like a push forward. And in the legal industry with, you know, it's, it's traditionally been an industry where um, they like to see you come into work. You know, attorneys like to see in, in with their own eyes, evidence of people working. We're just evidence-based people, you know? Um, so, but you know, were forced to work from home. And so now you, now you rely on technology more than ever. Um, and I have colleagues who still use printed pieces of paper and have a stapler on their desk. And I'm like, oh my God, we need to talk. But um, 
they just can't anymore. You can't keep driving back and forth to your office and picking up boxes of paper. Um, from, from a logistical standpoint, it's not convenient. Um, from a security standpoint, it's not secure. Where are you putting it in your house? These are confidential documents. You know, is the animal going to drop its food on it or is what if, you know, so it's just not secure. Um, so there's multiple reasons why technology is helping the transactional lawyer right now. And I think the change that we're seeing with that is that in terms of the dialogue among in-house attorneys, it is technology is becoming more and more accepted and more and more so being acknowledged as something that is needed. The issue that I'm still seeing is that it's, it's like, I want it, but I, I, one, can't get the money for it because my company doesn't think it's that important. Um, or two, I can get the money for it, but I don't have time right now because I just have so much on my plate in terms of my legal work that I don't have time to prioritize the implementation or even just looking and picking the right CLM tool. Um, and I think that one way that we can address this issue is by, you know, Every business department, marketing, IT, you name it, they usually have project managers coming in and helping them with whatever technology project that they have on their wish list. But legal rarely kind of uses that resource. Um, and I think legal project management is booming right now and it's, it's going to grow even more. So you're seeing changes in like Deloitte and other alternative legal service providers. Um, I'm really passionate also about consulting and change management and project management on the legal side. And I think this is a solution that will help us bridge the gap between I want it and now I'm going to do it. Yeah. I, I certainly think that pandemic has changed a lot of things. Yeah. Um, I also think there is another sort of impact on rainforest with paper. Um, yes. <laughs> good one. Yeah. There is right. a really, the environment, of course. Yeah. There is a really good, strong argument sustainability argument why we should be using digital versions of contracts. And I don't, and I, when I say digital contracts, I don't mean just taking paper and making them on computer. Right. Uh, we should, if we're using a different medium, just like in painting or, or uh, sculpture, when you're using different materials, you use different tools and you treat it differently. You don't pretend that oil is a watercolor mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and you paint it differently. So I think with, I like with uh, digital contracts, uh, we, we should stop pretending that digital contracts are paper. They are not paper. They are very different. They behave, behave very differently. And we should treat them differently and build different tools for that. Um, and there are absolutely strong arguments, including the sustainability arguments uh, and security arguments and, you know, dog ate my homework argument. Yeah. Um, so absolutely. Um, and yes, we see pandemic uh, kind of uh, changing quite a lot of things. We had a few clients who, who had this walk, print and walk process before uh, we implemented Parley Pro. And uh, one of them implemented like two weeks before shutdown. Um, and his CEO uh, basically wrote him a letter saying, oh my God, you are a true hero you had the wisdom and foresight to predict this pandemic and you prepared us because our business would have stopped because you would not be able to print the walk and walk yes. 
to negotiate contracts. And I said, do you want me to send you a superhero cape? <laughs> <laughs> it really um, turns us into superheroes, to legal superheroes. Something that 10 years ago, we just thought, oh, I wish that I could have something that helped me collaborate better so I didn't have to keep sending these emails back and forth. And now technology can do it. It's not an exclusive tool, but it is an important tool yeah. for certain types of problems, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you should absolutely hire the right people and have the right process. And yes, your technology stacks should complement all of the above and work well in, in, the, in, in the context of your industry, in the context of your company, in the context of your department, and in mm -hmm. the context of maybe even your individual preferences. Yeah. So Definitely. yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely uh, something that is an opportunity uh, to, for legal departments to embrace. You manage, You mentioned project management in legal. You said you see it increasingly. Increasingly, does it mean it's prevalent or uh, it's very rare still? I actually spent four years in business consulting. I was general counsel of a consulting firm. They did business management consulting in the automotive industry. Um, but it was about 50 employees. So there wasn't really like 40 hours a week worth of legal work. And the CEO said, Hey, Netta, would, you know, I think you'd make a great consultant. What do you think about letting me train you in consulting and billing you out to clients? And I was like, sure. I have no idea. Yeah. I was a young attorney and I still wanted to spread my wings. So I tried it out and I started at the bottom of the consulting ladder, doing business analyst work, learning how to use Excel. And I was like, oh my God, why am I doing this? What did I get myself into? But then um, I started managing technology projects. Like I um, was the project manager for building two mobile apps for car companies. Um, and in doing that, I worked with engineers, designers, business folks, um, internal stakeholders, and I was trained in project management. Then I went to Lexus and um, I was doing a project there, not on the legal side, but on the business side where I was helping them prepare. They were moving their headquarters to Texas and I was helping them get ready for that by building um, standard operating process procedures, SOPs for pretty boring documents. Just, you know, what do you do? And then you write it down or you map it out or whatever the case may be, but it's good protection for, for the business to have. And in doing that, I started learning about some of the gaps in their legal processes. And then I started doing legal project management for them, where I started mapping out their contract management process, chatting with their various managers and asking them how and when do they engage legal for contract review? What are they looking for that can make that relationship better, you know, between the business and legal teams and all of that. And then I proposed a strategy plan on how to um, make the contract review process more efficient and more effective at Lexis. And then they hired me to be the um, legal business and project, the legal um, business manager. So I had this dual role where I was doing consulting work and legal work. And that's what I call legal project management is when you're applying standard project man management principles to legal processes, legal projects. Um, and as a solution, I think it's, it's a really great tool because, um, more and more attorneys are starting to get trained in project management. It's starting to be offered as a more like a regular kind of basic course in school and stuff like that. 
Um, but not all attorneys, you know, most attorneys don't have that kind of training. So we have these ideas and, and we, we want to share them and they're good ideas, but we may not know the right way to say it. You know, in the corporate context, we may not know who the right person is to say it to. We may not know how to present it, how to build a nice fancy deck. You know, and I think that's, 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 a, that's a, um, a barrier to entry. That's probably a reason why we're not getting the budget that we need to get. And we're not getting all the yeses that we should. It's not because it's not a good idea. We're just, we just need to pitch it in the way that the business is used to hearing it. And that's different from legalese. You know, it's that plain English, that business lingo. Um, yeah, and I, I just, I'm hearing more people talk about it. I'm seeing more consulting firms expand into legal project management. And that's why I think um, it's starting to be realized as a true solution. Yeah, there is something about what we're trained in law school. It's a little bit like we come out fluent, sometimes not even fluent, in Latin, <laughs> in the English-speaking world. Um, and yes. the English-speaking world here is a language of finance, the language of project management, the using Excel, uh, all of those soft skills. Um, and uh, we may or may not come out from law school, from the bar exam, even with hard legal skills, let alone um, all the other sort of uh, skills that the rest of the world, business world, uh, takes us table stakes. Um, and so we end up as in-house lawyers often being Latin fluent, English deaf, right? And, and, yep. and it is a challenging place to be. And uh, I, I know in my case, my career, kind of like yours, really took off when I uh, embraced uh, becoming fluent uh, in, in, in business language of finance and uh, and soft skills and management and project management, uh, because yeah. then I was all of a sudden, uh, my ideas, my ideas have not changed, but they began to be heard and understood. And I felt the impact. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And that's, I think what we need in the legal industry. And, you know, vendors like Parley Pro or the other CLM vendors can help attorneys with that. Um, you know, by, by giving, giving us data that we can take back to our stakeholders, like how much money can we save by implementing this tool? Um, how much contract leakage can we prevent? What, how much headcount can we, you know, conserve or whatever the case may be and, and, you know, kind of helping walk us through that process as a partner. That's what I look for when I'm looking for, you know, um, a vendor to partner with in this legal technology journey is someone who's helping me um, not only just selling it to me, but helping me, helping me communicate, um, helping me win the, the project, get the budget, design the best, um, you know, customized portions. Um, but I think together, I think, you know, when in-house legal partners with their vendors, that really that's, um, that's setting us up for more success. Yeah, we find that um, dashboards are one of the more popular features of Parley Pro. Mm. And, and that's because they give you a lot of data and information and help uh, our clients to really have a seat at the table and speak the language of business about the impact of the department and the impact on their business and what they can change. And they really truly become business owners or business stakeholders, depending on the context, 
and they uh, really allow them to speak the language of business. And I think it's not a coincidence that um, dashboards and data are so highly thought and empowering uh, for our clients, absolutely. Um, I want to return a little bit about the digital negotiation and, and, and uh, the, um, the intersection of contracts and technology. Um, you, 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 know, you and I share this passion for this intersection, but is there anything, is there any aspect of contract negotiation or contract that you think technology will not be able to replace? Mm, that's a good question. Um, probably the human aspect, the fact that at the end of the day, behind every tool and every system is people. Um, and that really, that's, that's part of the art of negotiation as well is um, I talk a lot about leveraging empathy in contract negotiations, making a connection with the person on the other side of the deal. Um, you know, the tools help you facilitate the, the, the quantifiable things like data, um, the, the formulas, the, the thing, you know, as much as we can, we try to automate, but who's making the decision? The person. Who's making the suggestions? The person. Um, so that's really who you want to appeal to at the end of the day. And um, yeah, that's why talking about empathy and negotiations is also one of my other favorite topics. So tell me when you say leveraging empathy, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean that empathy is actually a powerful, powerful tool in negotiation because psychologically speaking, the more someone understands you, the more likely they are to agree with you. And um, inversely as well, you know, when you don't understand someone, you're less likely to say, okay, and to agree with them. Uh, really, you know, especially as attorneys, we're really inquisitive because we're analytical. So we want to understand the why of something before we make a decision. And if we don't understand the why, the default's going to be no. So before you can even get to yes and reach that agreement, first explain why. And that's why I advise like in my redlining um, etiquette guidelines to provide explanatory comments whenever you make a redline to explain the why up front. And if you, if, you know, you still are at an impasse, schedule a call and discuss the why. Um, appeal to the other side. And instead of saying, this doesn't make any sense, say, you know, for clarity purposes, would you mind explaining this to me again? Or can you help give me an example here of how this might actually play out in real life? Um, or have you seen this in other contracts? Because I haven't. Uh, you know, and I've done quite a few, but, you know, I don't know everything, if, you know, happy to hear you out. I could be wrong, you know, and just saying it respectfully um, and, and communicating with them in a way that their point of view matters too. You know, you really have to appeal to them. You can't twist someone's arm and force them to agree with you. Um, and that's something that I think through using collaboration tools and negotiation tools, like we save time on some of the annoying stuff that we don't want to deal with, which means that we can spend more time on the negotiations and more time means better quality, more care, um, more time to connect with the person on the other side and really talk about the deal. Yeah. Force doesn't work, you know, just like violence doesn't often work. Yeah. Um, Force no. doesn't work. Whether it doesn't. it's verbal or in, in red lines or in yeah. any other way, um, you're really much more likely to, to get to yes by understanding. Yes. Um, we're coming to the end. 
Uh, I would love to kind of, you know, we are in the middle, maybe hopefully end of pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, there are a lot of people in transition. Many of them are lawyer, lawyers, and uh, many of them are seeking to upgrade skills. There are also many recent graduates uh, seeking to enter various legal fields, including contracts. Um, how do you recommend that lawyers in transition or lawyers who would like to enter this field, what are the things that they should be learning, how they can be competitive, how they should position themselves? What are your recommendations for folks in transition and folks who are trying to enter the field? That's a great question. Um, I think to really set yourself apart if you want to go, you know, be an in-house attorney or go the transactional route is project management skills, change management and project management. Um, there are certifications you can do, training programs, sitting in on CLEs, um, asking maybe, maybe you have a side job. If you're not practicing law, you're in law school, you have a side job. Or if you are practicing law, you're working at a firm, just volunteer to work on some business tasks. You know, hey, can I put a PowerPoint deck together for you? Hey, can I do some marketing for your LinkedIn? And just start um, practicing business communication and business project management skills because it's so vital to your practice as an attorney, as a contracts attorney, because we work so closely with the business folks that you want to be able to speak their language. That's part of the fluidity and the dynamic skills that we should have as attorneys. I think that would really set you apart. So before we go, I want to ask you one very last question. You, Nada, your um, contract nerd is your baby. What yeah. vision do you want to have? What would you have for your baby? That moment, you remember every baby doesn't say baby. You at some point releasing every baby into the wild. Um, what does it mean to you uh, for, for contract nurse to grow up and to be released into the wild? Yes, I'm hoping. I'm hoping soon. Um, I really, you know, there's so many different angles you can take with contracts. I think uh, a lot of people, a lot of companies do a great job with contract drafting uh, tools and templates and contract technology. And I'd really like to serve as the bridge to the gap between legal and technology. As we've talked about, I have the background in consulting and legal, and I'd love to have contract nerds be a legal ops consulting services platform where, you know, if in-house attorneys need help figuring out where they are in the contracts automation process or what tools to use, they don't have the time or the expertise, then they can hire someone like me or contract nerds to come in and help run that project for, for them and help them get from point A to point B, from manual to automated. I love spending time with you. you uh, we have so many things in common from immigration experience to yes. power awards to, to contracts. Uh, we could talk for a very long time. We could. We should definitely do it again. I really thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and let's, let's do it again. Thank you so much, Olga. It's always wonderful to chat with you. I really appreciate you having me here. You bet. I had a lot of fun. Me too.